Welcome to Vernacular Podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. Each week on Vernacular, we explore the art of being truly and fully human. Most of the time, that means that Sally and I chat for 15 to 20 minutes about a topic, general or specific, and how it helps us understand what it means to be human. But we don't have all the answers, so occasionally we invite guests on the show to help us tackle this question in the context of their job or hobby, current events, or pop culture. Thanks for joining us as we practice the art of being human. All right, welcome back to Vernacular. This is uh, 85, episode 85. Yeah, that's a good number. And we've uh, we've kind of departed from our normal 20-minute programs for yeah, the last two episodes. Yeah, just for the last two, yeah. One was a bonus episode where we talked to a friend and- One of our earliest supporters. Shared our own Patreon updates. Supporter. Yeah, and then the most recent one was an episode where we had two of our other contributors on to talk about The Crown, which right. was really fun, but super hard to keep to 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. So this week, we will go back to our 20-minute model and return to The Art of Being Human. And today, we are going to be talking about why suffering? Why do we suffer as human beings? Last month, we discussed why mortality is essential to what it means to be human and why immortality is actually antithetical to a truly human life. And so today, we are going to be discussing why suffering and our natural human vulnerability to suffering are essential to a truly human life. Yeah, so I think the first thing we have to break down here, if we're going to tackle this in 20 minutes, is what is the nature of suffering? How is it unique? We experience suffering as persons. Is that different from the suffering that a dog experiences when the dog is outside on a cold day or the dog has cancer in a, in a more morbid scenario. Um, what, what's unique about human suffering, if anything? Maybe there's nothing, but maybe there is something. Well, I think one thing is that we, we have the physical suffering, but we also have this added psychological and emotional suffering because we understand all the implications of our suffering. We can think about it in all of its you know deep and profound and complex meanings and we can understand how suffering separates us from other people if it means death and we can anticipate all of these ways that our suffering will increase or decrease and so i just think there's like all of these psychological and emotional aspects to suffering that are unique to human suffering yeah i think that's true so it's not just the physical suffering that a an animal would experience right yeah we know we have more to lose we have so much to lose if we if our suffering leads to death or leads to at least just chronic impairment right and so i think that makes suffering we have more opportunities to suffer um because we have more to lose and i think it's more intense because of all the wide range of emotions that we can experience while we suffer yeah and i I think i'll just pause here to counter maybe a possible objection which would be that we can't say for sure that animals don't suffer sure. emotionally and psychologically. But I think we've established in previous episodes that humans do have something distinctive. We call it a soul, that that soul is a in union with our bodies. And we've also talked about how we have this capacity for reason that as far as we can tell, nobody else in the animal kingdom yeah, does. Yeah, it's exceptional. Right. And we have this not just, not just a capacity for reason, but a capacity for, for creating beauty. And I think those those things taken together, sure, maybe they're not a definitive proof that humans are the only ones who have this type of suffering. But or to I, the level that we do. Right. But I think it makes the argument very strong. So I acknowledge that possible objection. But for our purposes, we're still going to state definitively that humans suffer in a way that other that, that animals do not. I think the other thing is that while suffering, we're not saying that suffering is in itself good. It's not good. But our suffering can be redeemed. Human suffering can be redeemed, I think, in a way that 
non-human animal suffering cannot be redeemed. So what I'm saying is that good can actually come from our suffering. We can gain virtue. We can gain understanding or wisdom, peace, relationships with other people who suffer, courage. You know, I guess the list could go on. Yeah. Nobility. Mm Mm-hmm. All of these virtues that we can gain through suffering, and I think in that way, we can see the redemption of our suffering in a way that animals, other animals cannot. Yeah, and like you said, you're just talking about good qualities coming through or being refined by the suffering, because redemption and redeem is is a very loaded term, and probably in many people, or too many people, conjures up ideas of religion, but... What you're talking about, although certainly not incompatible with religion, also doesn't depend on religion for that argument. I no, mean, what not you're, at all. What you're saying is as simple as uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, <laughs> right? I right, mean, at a right. very basic level, that these these sufferings, these trials that we endure as human beings refine us and shape us, and certainly they they can kill us. But on the other side of that, they can make us a lot stronger. They can give us more virtue. They can give us more courage. They can make us more noble beings. They can make us want to give back to other people in ways that we didn't do before. So I I think that's an important thing worth mentioning. And even to harken back to our previous episode about immortality and the importance of mortality, even that possibility of death, actually that possibility of death is necessary for all of those virtues as well. Right, And then we talked about that in our last episode. Right, because if there is no end to life, then what point is there in cultivating those virtues? Right. Yeah. So yeah, I think this is part and parcel with that argument. The the reason that suffering can be redeemed is the same reason why we don't actually want to live forever. So our suffering is unique as human beings, and our suffering, it can be redeemed. Good can come from it. Right. Which is different, of course, from saying that the suffering itself is good. good. Exactly. We definitely want to be very clear about that. Right. So... A second point, already modern medicine and science are capable of eliminating or at least relieving much of human suffering. So let's assume that science is going to advance to this point of eliminating all human suffering. Should we do it? What would a suffering-free life, a life that is no longer vulnerable to suffering, actually look like? What would we gain in a life like that? What would we lose? And would that life still be truly human? It's a good question. I don't want to get too far afield here, but sure. when, when you talk about eliminating suffering... First of all, the practical side of me thinks that's impossible. Right, right. right. It's not going to happen. But, right. you know, because philosophy... For the sake of argument. <laughs> because philosophy loves to have these hypotheticals, yeah. we go with it, right? The second thing is there's the very common uh, the, the common argument used to explain utilitarianism in which there is a child who can be killed. And you know, as the person in the scenario, you know that if the child is killed, or if you kill the child more directly, if you kill the child you will end the suffering of the rest of humanity. And uh, this just makes me think of that because to, to our standpoint, to my standpoint, and to yours as well, the terms of the whole problem are wrong because the utilitarian sets that up in saying that the end of suffering is a good. And we, I think, would say the end of suffering would not be a good because there are good things that come through suffering. And so the, the whole terms of that exercise are flawed in our view because that's not even a good that you're achieving, you're, you're aiming at anyway. So the utilitarian calculus wouldn't even apply in that case. Exactly. Yeah, that calculus of pain versus pleasure and minimizing pain and increasing pleasure. Spoiler for this episode, but our point is that suffering and pain are actually important in a truly human life right. and necessary. Right. And 
our goal is not to minimize them and just to, to simply increase our pleasure. And actually to that point, pleasure is probably what would increase in a life without suffering. We would have a more pleasant life. We would be more comfortable. Yep. We would probably feel more secure. Um, life would be easier because we wouldn't be suffering, less stressful. But here's the thing. It would also be really boring. <laughs> that was your point about death. About too, living right? forever. I, yeah. I, think, I think you, in some ways, can't really divorce these two topics, right? right? right. Immortality and or mortality and suffering go hand right. in hand because our suffering often leads to our mortality. Right. So I guess if you see, if you get bored by the lack of physical challenges, right. That if you come get, if you get bored by the lack of danger, you know, that leads to mortality, then it's probably true in my case, at least that you'll be also bored by the fact that there's no suffering. I mean, if I was living in a world in which I would never feel pain, I think that'd be, there'd be no risk involved. I think maybe for a few months, it'd be great, right? I can do whatever I want and I will never have to suffer. Yay. But on the other hand, it would it would give me a certain level of monotony throughout my entire life that I think would ultimately be unendurable. Okay, so this goes to my next to, – to part of this question that I want to talk about is that would life really be happier? So we talked about what we would gain, but would we gain happiness? Would we be more joyful? Is – I guess is true happiness really possible without the possibility and existence of suffering? I think not. Yeah, I think happiness is so much more complex than comfort and pleasure, and happiness requires that possibility of suffering. I have a very simple example. Oh, great. Our listeners know that we love sparkling water. <laughs> if I had Our longtime listeners. If I had sparkling water whenever I wanted sparkling water, every moment of the day that I felt myself hot or perspiring, then what enjoyment would I actually get from the sparkling water? I get the enjoyment from the sparkling water because it's only at certain points of the day, really certain points of the week, where I sit down and think, oh, I'm feeling very warm as I have all day because we live in Austin and it's, you know, like a thousand degrees here and it's not even June yet and I could go on this whole tirade. But I have the sparkling water and it's so delightful because I haven't been consuming this nonstop. I've, I've had... I mean, it's very mild, of course, but I've suffered, you know, I'm putting air quotes on this because I realize that, you know, being in 95 or 100 degree weather is not really suffering, but in a micro sense, it is relative to not being in 95 to 100 degree weather. And if I hadn't experienced that, I wouldn't actually have the same level of enjoyment, joy that I get from the sparkling water later in the day whenever I can crack open a can. So the existence of these challenges that suffering you know, offer to us, they they actually add to our joy and add to our happiness. And so if we took them away, we wouldn't actually be happier. Right. I think what we would also lose is that we would lose all the goods that we would gain through suffering. And we kind of mentioned those at the beginning, but we can unpack those more. I think when we suffer, we are better able to empathize with other people who are different from us, who also suffer maybe in different ways. Um, I think we can understand other people better yep. when we suffer. Um, you think of people who suffer from oppression or racism mm -hmm. or something like that. Like when you experience being the other in a situation, you're better able to empathize with other people Definitely. who experience that yeah. on a daily basis. Um, I think we would gain wisdom from suffering because it would just make us so – it makes us so much more wise. I can't speak from experience in you know a grand way, but – I would imagine just going through a lot of suffering, you would just be so much more wise about the way the world works and how to operate in the world. Yeah. I think you'd probably have more peace 
because you're not worried all the time about what would happen if I suffer or what would suffering look like. You would experience suffering and you would then you would realize that's not the end of the world. That's not actually the worst evil. There's so much more good in this world to experience despite suffering, even in spite of suffering. Yeah. So along the empathy lines, we would also probably develop relationships with people who also suffered. So it would kind of unite us with other people. And you talked about having an appreciation for beauty. I think when we experience pain and loss and suffering, we are better better able to recognize and appreciate beauty. Or sparkling water. Or sparkling places, water, yeah. right. And courage. I mentioned courage before. I think going through a trial of whatever kind that that involves suffering, you would just be so much more courageous and brave coming out of that. Right. Because you're like, wow, I can do this. I can get through this. Or at least, you know – it's not the worst evil. Yeah, there's this sort of confidence that comes from that. And yeah. and you and I have seen that being parents. It's it's sometimes uh, unpleasant for one of our children to have a certain experience, right? Even if it's you know, like we were in the we were at the pool er- earlier today right. and our girls don't like going underwater, but we need to teach them that so that they're not scared of the water and so that they can eventually learn to swim and once I'm thinking of our three and a half year old. Once she did that, she was very proud of herself for doing it. It wasn't a pleasant experience, but she grew from it and she felt stronger from it. And she was very proud of herself for having, you know, had the bravery to go underwater. Yeah. So we could lose all of those goods or at least some of them when we, if we were to to eliminate suffering. And I think we would lose the quality of those goods and kind of the intensity of them if we didn't suffer. Yeah, I think you're right. So I have another, another point under this umbrella. I think that being vulnerable to suffering, what we've been talking about, being vulnerable to suffering, means that there is a chance that we will become weak, independent, and needy. So if that's true. Which sounds like a bad thing. Right. right? But we've already talked about. Who wants about, to be weak? Who wants to be dependent? <laughs> who wants to be needy? Not me. But we already are because we're human. Right. Because we talked about in episode 77 about beauty and imperfection. And how part of being human is to be imperfect. Exactly. To be flawed. To be needy. To, to be, be dependent. To be weak at some point in our lives. Right. And we talked about that in the stages of a human life cycle, where at some points in our life, we are going to be dependent and needy, usually at the beginning and the end. Mm-hmm. And so if if there's a chance that we can become weak and dependent and needy, and that is what part of what it means to be human, then we need to be vulnerable to suffering. Absolutely. And like you were saying before, it unites us with other people who are going through that same thing because we're together in our imperfection. We're together in our flaws. And this could be something like, you know, going through the experience of, uh, you know, being pregnant with somebody who's who has a difficult pregnancy that can unite you it can be you know going through something with your recovery group if you're in recovery it can be um uh going to a bereavement uh group counseling session and and talk with other people who are going through the same sort of loss and emotional and psychological pain that you're going through but that crucially unites us to each other yeah and i think from that perspective suffering isn't just this problem that we need to solve like how we look at aging or death. They're not problems we solve. They're actually necessary human experiences that we share with other people. Once we get to that point, once we see suffering as a necessary human experience that unites us to other people, we can truly see the person that we would otherwise see as the other. So this person you don't know or this person who's different than you, you can see the other as a fellow human person, not just as a person who's different than you, right? but a, a fellow human person who's also vulnerable, who's also potentially weak, independent, and needy. And then once you see them as that fellow human person, you can love them. Absolutely. And you can't get that if you are not co-sufferers in this world. Yeah. I think we need to talk briefly since we're running out of time. Two objections. 
The first objection is probably the easier. Well, I, I would say definitely the easier one to tackle. And this is what about senseless suffering, right? What about the child who suffers and uh, experiences mangled lungs from a gas bomb dropped on them in Syria when they were an innocent bystander? They didn't deserve that, right? What about that kind of suffering? Or a child that's born like in, um, what is it, anencephaly, where the, part of their brain a is not Anencephaly, formed. I think. Yes. Yeah, or they have a smaller brain or there's something wrong with their brain right. so that they die shortly after birth. Right. What about that kind of suffering? Right. How is that necessary? The answer is it's not. And it's not a good. It's an right. evil. The suffering of innocence is definitely evil. Right. And suffering is not good. The point that we're making is that suffering can be redeemed, that good can come through suffering. It doesn't automatically mean that all suffering is good or that all suffering is necessary. And that while it is evil, and it's probably the most troubling kind of suffering, the suffering of innocence, it's not the worst evil. The worst evil actually would be a life devoid of suffering and the humanity that comes along with it. An inhuman life that didn't have suffering, that didn't have aging, that didn't have death, to draw back on previous episodes, that would be worse, a worse evil than the suffering of innocence, right. a life where a child suffers. Right. The second objection is related to this, and it, it has to do with degrees of suffering, I think. So not, not categories of suffering in terms of senseless uh, or sort of um, uh, what's the, maybe instead of senseless, a better word might be um, like catastrophic or, you know, the sort of... Unprovoked. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so not about that, not categories of suffering, but rather degrees. That is so like intensity. Intensity, yeah. So um, for a cancer patient, right? What level of suffering is redeemable and what level of suffering should be addressed by medicine? And so I also don't want to come across in this episode like we are saying you should never pop an Advil for a headache, right? Right. That, that oh, a cancer yeah. patient should never be on palliative care. Or that all suffering is equal. Or that, that all suffering is my equal. My headache is just as bad right. as your chemotherapy. Right. Not at all. Um, and I do regularly pop Advil when I need it. So it's it's not that uh, it's not that you should avoid painkillers. And when your doctor says that he suggests you be on morphine, you should be on morphine. Um, the point here is that suffering is an essential part of being human. And that if we were to pursue a world or live in a world in which suffering was no longer a possibility, then we would be missing out on something fundamental. Because even with the best that, that our modern medicine has to offer, even with the best palliative care that a doctor can give a cancer patient, even with, even with the Advil that you pop for a headache, uh, you will still have some suffering, right? There will be times when the medicine is not entirely effective. There will be suffering there. And just the condition of being needy enough to go on some sort of medicine, that in itself is a form of suffering that is essential to what makes us human. And we started off this episode saying that suffering is not just physical. So if you are experiencing relief, relief from your pain in the hospital, your family members are probably suffering just watching you that's having true. to deal with that. Yeah. And that's a different kind of suffering and a suffering that that also should not be eliminated. That's a great point. I think that's all we have on this topic. Yeah. Let us know what you think. Let us know if you agree or disagree. And you can get in touch with us 
at VernacularPod on Instagram. Yep. Also on Anchor, and shout out to JP, who left us a voice message, message said he teaches uh, high school and uses the film Gattaca to teach ethics to oh, his that's students. Great. So that's, a, that's awesome, JP. Thanks for reaching out. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at VernacularPod. You can email us at Zach and Sally at VernacularPodcast.com. And uh, yeah, like I said, the Anchor app or Facebook.com slash VernacularPodcast. And I think that's it. All right. Until next time, I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. Have a great week. Ah.